So in your bulletin, by the way, you've got three things. One is the volunteer page that some of you filled out last week. Uh, two is the typical communication card. And then three is the lyrics to this song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, um, which came out in 1986 on an album called The Joshua Tree. When I remember the first time I ever listened to Casey Kasem and the Top 40 Countdown. Do some of you remember that? Uh, it was on a Sunday morning. We skipped church that day, and I listened to that, and I felt like I had to listen in a different room because in my family, if it wasn't country music or bad gospel music, like it was the devil's music. And I remember, yep, a couple of you are shaking your head. And um, I remember hearing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, thinking, holy cow, what is that? That was a different thing. That was a different, I'd never, like I'd been raised on Willie Nelson on the road again and a bunch of, um, and then a bunch of like bands that, bands, gospel, southern gospel bands that you would have never heard of. And when I heard that and I heard the guitar, I was like, man, I've never heard anything like that. And it like it, it like it did something in my soul. And I remember 10, uh, almost 10 years later, I had a dr- uh, driver's license and I went to the Christian bookstore that we had in the South. And uh, and they the magazine, there's a magazine called CCM Magazine, Contemporary Christian Music Magazine. And they rated the top 100 Christian albums of all time. And there in the top 100 uh, albums of all time, number seven, they had The Joshua Tree by U2. And I was like, wait a minute, that can't be like, there's no crosses on that album cover. And I've heard those songs and none of those songs say Jesus's name. I didn't understand it. I'd seen them on MTV. There used to be an MTV is a channel that used to play music videos. And, uh, and, and there was a guy named Adam Curry and he had really terrible like big band 80s hair. And he would introduce the song and it was like a great song. I'd seen it on MTV. And, and the biggest thing that was shocking to me was that they were like hailed in culture as being good and influential and uh, and they sounded good. And when I would listen to Christian music, even the best Christian music of all time, it didn't sound good. It sounded, um, it just sounded different. You didn't have the edge playing guitar. It just sounded different to me. And I love their music in the 80s. Like I go back even still, like Annie and I were talking this morning. She was saying she runs to you too. I love their music in the 80s. I did not understand their music in the 90s at all. I thought it was weird. It didn't make any sense to me. Now, 20 years later, I've read interviews about things this guy has uh, said and the band has said. And I'm like, okay, it makes sense what you were doing. And then in the late, uh, in the early 2000s, they did two albums that became really iconic that were sort of hitting their stride at the same time that 9-11 happened. And um, they gave one of the most powerful concerts in American history. They were one of the first bands to go into New York and play after 9-11 and uh, played Walk On and gave this really beautiful tribute to what had happened on 9-11. It was powerful. And, uh, And man, for me, that sort of cemented their legacy as they were not just a band. They were almost like musical prophets in the same sense as like Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan and Marvin Gaye and people like that. And um, the thing I loved about them and still love to them is you love about them is you can't like, like you can't cliche them in. You know what I mean? They can't box uh, them in. There's not a lot of labels. Their art is just really, really amazing. And their music's really, really amazing. And I'm thinking about Justin, who probably hasn't listened to 10 of their songs. And is like, why are you talking about this guy? But I've, like, as far as like, if we can think about what great art in the name of Jesus has been made over the 
2,000 years since he was born and lived and died, like I would put this right up there with anything else. So the first song we're going to talk about today is that I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Rolling Stone magazine says the 93rd greatest uh, song ever written, which to me, I read that and I'm like, 93rd, that's like, that's a lot of songs ahead. And I was like, I think it's better than 93rd. Then I started looking at what the list of the greatest songs are. And I was like, yep, that deserves to be there. Yep. Yep. So I don't don't know, like there's bias for me. I would put it higher than 93rd, but it makes some sense. And some people will say of this song in particular, man, that's a Christian song. There's uh, one line in the bridge in particular, but you're like, oh, well, that's clearly a Christian song. And there's other people who will say, no way. There's no way that these guys are Christians. There's no way that this is a Christian song because he even says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He's still searching. And so I love what Bono says about this song. There are a few books that I've uh, read over the last few months uh, in preparation for this. This one was called, We Get to Carry Each Other, The Gospel According to You Too. This one's called Walk On, The Spiritual Journey of You Too. Uh, this one is my favorite, one of my 10 favorite books of all time, period. It's called Bono and Conversation. It's um, him being interviewed by this atheist, uh, French guy, journalist, um, and just really being very candid about his faith and what he believes. And so in one of these, Bono says that this song is a gospel song for a restless soul. I love that. Like, do you ever feel like, uh, man, I want to believe you, Jesus, but like, there's a lot of life I got to live, or I want to believe you, but I haven't figured this out. Or we see people here in Boston, or we see family members and friends, and it's like, they're so close to belief, but they just can't like take that one step. They can't nail it down. It's like, so I mean, I think that's what he's saying. It's a gospel song for a restless soul. And it makes me ask a couple of questions. Um, one, is our faith easily packaged? Like, is is faith in Jesus and following Jesus like easy to box up and package and move on from? Do, most, do you think that most people's faith journey is really simple? Uh, the, the teenagers who come into Charles Newtown and hang out in the community center where you work, like, I feel like most of them believe in God, but that is a total work in progress for most people. It's not like, oh, well, here's a simple little box. The people that you interact with, Mark, when you're traveling across the country with work, is their faith really simple? The, Renee, the people, the families that come into community center, is their faith simple and box like, oh, this is a box. I don't feel like for most people, faith is simple at all. I feel like for most people, faith is really complicated and deeply personal. And for me, sometimes I believe God like profoundly. And at other times, like it's a struggle for me to think my prayers are even going past the ceiling. And I think that's most people's journey. And I think when we say, oh, well, you've got to have it all figured out, Bono. You've got to have found what you're looking for. I think that's really unfair. Like most of the time when we do that, I think we're just kind of taking this high road. It's not really where we are truly in our journey. And so that's tough. Um, Is it okay to be a work in progress? Is it okay to say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't figured all of this stuff out. So let's look at the book of Luke. Um, When I grew up, we had... Uh, we didn't have YouTube and we didn't have any of the ve- veggie tales was a video 10 years ago that a lot of kids would watch in church. And um, you have any of that? You've heard me say before, we had a felt board and you had a felt board with like Jesus and he looked like a Swedish beauty pageant winner. He had his blue sash, white robe, blonde hair. And then you had all these other felt board people and you would put them on the felt board and you'd tell the story. This story 
is a longer version of the, of the story that I've seen on the felt board, and I've seen it in bad Christian movies. Uh, and it's the story of Jesus calling the first disciples. And if you read this in Mark 1 and in Matthew 4, this story, it's really short. And here's how the story goes. You ready? Jesus walks up to some guys who are fishing, and he says to them, follow me, and they leave everything and follow him. And I can just see, like, to me, that looks like a sci-fi movie in my mind. Like, I can just see Swedish beauty pageant Jesus coming up to these strangers. And it's like, he's like, he, he almost like laser beams them in with his eyes. And is like, hey, guys, follow me. And they're like, okay, Jesus, we will obey. And they leave their nets and they start following him. And, but that doesn't seem consistent to anything I've, anything I've ever experienced. I've never gone up to anybody in Charlestown and said, hey, come follow Jesus. And they'd be like, cool, let's do it. Yep, absolutely. Let's run. Let's go. We're following. And they, they, they're like, here's my, here's my money clip. I'll lay this here. Here's my cell phone. I'm done following Jesus. Like, that does not, I've, I've not had that happen. I, I don't know that many of us have had that happen. That doesn't seem like how it works. So I love this Luke account of how Peter and the first disciples became the first disciples. Let's read it together if we can. Now, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they filled, they came and they filled the boats, uh, both the boats, so that the boats began to sink. Uh, not literally, but like, I mean, there's a lot of weight. This is a, a catch of a lifetime. But when Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men, or you'll be catching people. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So real simple. There's three, um, three entities here. One's the crowd. Two is Jesus, who has no disciples, and he's just getting started, hasn't really done a whole lot of miracles, not really famous, no, not a, he's just a teacher. And, and then this guy Peter, with probably three or more of his fishing buddies. It's early in the morning, because we hear that Peter's been doing this all night long, and, um, and Jesus is like the master orator. Uh, he can, he knows exactly where to be to get the best acoustics. So he is uh, sitting by the edge of a lake, and there's a crowd of people, and when Jesus would be teaching, the crowd would be standing, and they're standing on the side of the hill. So they're all here, Jesus is here, and here's a lake, and there's people fishing. And you get these perfect acoustics because the water here and the hill here makes for great sound. And so, but the crowd is pushing in because everybody wants to hear him. And so in that moment, the scenario is Jesus is teaching, they're listening, and Peter is just off the side uh, with his um, co-workers, and they're fixing their nets, and they haven't caught anything, cleaning them out. 
Well, Jesus is about to get pushed into the water. So he says to Peter, hey, Peter, would you mind, or I don't even know if he really knows his name. He says, would you mind if I use your boat? Can we get in your boat and push out just a little bit so that I can teach, still get the good sound, everybody be hearing me, but I don't have to stand on the water to impress all these people too much right here at the beginning. And Peter says yes. So now Peter has gone from maybe he's listening, maybe he's not, to he's definitely listening because he's not working on his nets. He's just sitting there making sure the boat doesn't tip over. Then all the crowd leaves. Jesus dismisses them. And now it's just Jesus and Peter. And it's, um, it's probably mid-morning. And Jesus says, hey, why don't we go for a fish? I don't really know you. Let me, let's hear your story. You want to go out into the water and we'll just talk. Maybe we can fish. Maybe we'll catch something. And Peter says, hey, look, man. Look, master. I know you did a great job giving your sermon, but I'm a fisherman. Like, and I immediately think of like a Gloucester, New England fisherman, you know, got a sweet tattoo, probably of a mermaid here and like a anchor here and a nice salty tongue and a good beard. And, uh, and he's like, I know you think you know everything because you just preached a sermon, but this is what I do for a living. Uh, but I'm going to do it just to humor you. So they go out. And man, they throw those nets in there. And Peter knows where the fish are. He knows how this works. And he didn't catch anything all night. And immediately they catch the catch of a lifetime. I mean, just a lifetime. So they bring the, another boat out and they get it all in. And now Peter goes from calling him master uh, to saying, hey, get out of here. Lord, I am a sinful person. So in that moment, and then Jesus says, oh man, don't worry about it. From now on, you're going to be catching people. You're going to come with me and you're going to catch people. And then Peter, having caught the haul of a lifetime, says, okay. And he leaves it, and his buddies leave it, and they go, and they become Jesus' disciples. Now, to me, I hear that, and I go, oh, well, that kind of makes some sense. Like, there's Peter at a little bit of a distance, and then there's Peter and Jesus like this, and then there's Peter going, uh, Jesus coming into Peter's world and saying, okay, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to do this amazing thing for you, and I'm going to bless you and give you this miraculous catch of a lifetime. And then in that moment, when Jesus and Peter have had some relationship, Bill, Jesus says, okay, now I want you to follow me. And Peter does it. That makes sense. What doesn't make sense is for me to think about going into Dunkin' Donuts and being like, hey, Charlestown, I need you all to follow Jesus right now. Please Line up in a single file line. We're going to follow God together and it's all going to be good. That makes no sense. What does make sense is going into Duncan day after day, building relationships with people, playing basketball with people week after week, working in that community center week after week, day after day, building relationships, and at the right moment, sharing what we believe. Jesus invites Peter to follow and Peter abandons it all. And let me just encourage you. If you feel like you haven't got it all figured out and you still haven't found what you're looking for, um, Peter's still a work in progress. Like, it's easy to think of Peter in the Roman Catholic sense, like Peter, the founder of the Holy Catholic Church. Don't think of him like that. Think of Peter, like, denying Jesus three times before the rooster crows, cursing a teenage girl out, like, cursing her out because she says that she thinks he's one of the disciples Think about Peter, even in the book of Acts and in the book of Galatians, you get this story. Peter is hanging out with a bunch of um, non-Jewish 
non-kosher Christians who believe still in eating bacon and sausage and ham sandwiches. And he's like just yucking it up. Pass the bacon. Pass the sausage. Let's have a bacon sausage biscuit sandwich. And they're just having a great time. And then some Jews come on the scene and Peter's like, He's out, out dare you guys eat that bacon and sausage. And he's like feeding the bacon and sausage to the dog under the table, just like this. How dare you eat that and not observe kosher? And Paul goes and just chews him out and says, man, how can you be such a hypocrite? In front of, in front of one group, you do one thing. And then in front of another group, you do another thing and you make everybody feel like crap about it. And um, Peter's a work in progress. Man, he's a work in progress like all of us. So what does this... Um, what does all this have to do with Bono? Like, and what does this have to do with the song, uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for? In 1981, so three of the members of U2 were raised in Christian homes. One was not. One was uh, raised in a very wealthy home. The bass guitarist, uh, his name's Adam Clayton. But the drummer, Larry, the guitarist, Edge, the Edge, and then Bono are raised in Christian homes. Uh, Bono's mom dies when he's 13, and he has a really busted up relationship with his dad, who's not a believer. His mom was Protestant and and fairly devout. His dad was Catholic and a lapsed Catholic. And so he grows up with this faith and he gets hooked up with these uh, three or four guys um, who are all sort of, uh, they're all Christians and they're all uh, very artistic and they form this sort of like little community of people who go and like make art and get into trouble in Dublin in the 1970s. And then Uh, They begin, they release their first album in 1980. It's a fairly big hit in Ireland and in the UK. And they're part of this religious community called the Shalom Community. And basically, it's a bunch of people meeting in their living room and, uh, and trying to follow God and pray and read the Bible and encourage each other. And in 1981, after they've released their first album and they're becoming a hit, this Shalom Community, these Christians that they're hanging out with, come to them and they're like, you got to pick. You can't be in a rock and roll band and follow Jesus. Like, those two things are totally incompatible. you got to pick one or the other. And Bono and The Edge want to walk away from the band. They're like, well, we love Jesus. So if we can't sing music, we got to walk away. We'll, we'll leave it. We won't do it anymore. And then the drummer, Larry, goes to him and is like, guys, that's bull. Like, that's total bull. We can follow Jesus and play music. We can do both things. Uh, we can love God and make good music, and, um, and, uh, and, and they settle it. That settles it, and they decide from that moment, we're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to make good music. And for about 25 years, they decided at that moment they weren't going to be part of a church anymore, and they kind of walked away from the institutional church. So a guy, an anthropologist named Paul Hybert, uh, wrote this thing. I, I swear we're going somewhere with this. Give me two seconds. This will begin to make some sense. Called Sets and Structures, A Study in Church Patterns. And in Sets and Structures, uh, Paul Hybert says there are two kinds of sets when it comes to following God. One set is called a bounded set. And in a bounded set, it's all about the boundaries. A group's membership is decided by the boundaries on the edges. So in a church setting, um, this would be like, well, you've got to be a member of this church and you've got to be baptized or have gone through confirmation or communion. And you've got to follow the, or the sort of the righteous living and avoid the sin. And these are the boundaries. The other type of set he talks about is a centered set. In a center set, there is no hard boundary. It's all about what's at the middle and growing closer to the center. And so in a bounded set, it depends on not what's at the middle, but 
where are you in relation to the boundaries? In a centered set, it's all about how close am I currently to the middle and am I moving toward the middle? A good example in, in human terms of uh, bounded sets is pregnancy. You either are or you aren't pregnant. You know what I mean? Like you can't be sort of pregnant. Like you can be further along in a pregnancy or not. You can be more healthy in a pregnancy or not. But a woman is either pregnant or not. There's a hard boundary, right? We track him? Good. A centered set when it comes to biology is baldness. Now, I was born with very little hair. And about five or ten years ago, I started feeling really paranoid that I was going bald. But I went back and I looked at my high school graduation photo, and man, I was pale-faced and cheesy-looking. Not much has really changed. But the amazing thing is my hairline has not receded a ton since I was 18. And, uh, and like the baldness paranoia will come uh, and I'll be like, man, I'm going to be bald any day now, like any day now. And I get a lumpy head, so that's going to be really sad. But it seems like my hair is hanging on, like on the baldness spectrum where uh, a full head of hair is here and Mr. Clean is here, like I'm not there. I'm moving toward Mr. Clean. I don't think I'm ever going to reach Mr. Clean. Like, my baldness is in different degrees than other people's. Like, but I'm not there, but I'm moving that way. So a baby may start out really bald, may grow a full head of hair, and move here. It's all really, like, if Mr. Clean is the goal in a centered set, baldness, we can constantly move. You don't arrive at baldness. We're going there or not. So in a bounded set, it's static, it's fixed, you're in or you're out. In a centered set, it's dynamic and shifting. Uh, in a bounded set, the question is, am I in the group? In a centered set, the question is, which way am I facing and moving? That Shalom community for Bono was a bounded set. They were like, rock and roll or Jesus, pick. And the band said, no, 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 we can follow God. We can be a work in progress and not have every bit of this figured out. Religion is about bounded sets. It's about bounded sets. Following Jesus is about centered sets. Jesus, in that story of, with Peter, is totally comfortable with Peter sitting off to the side and listening to him teach. And you watch, Jesus was, he was chasing Peter. He wanted Peter to follow him. But if Peter said, I'm not pushing out my boat, dude, Jesus would have left it for another day. Jesus's goal was to go, Peter, you're just listening to Peter. Can I use your boat? To Peter, can we go fishing? To Peter, now will you come follow me? That's a centered set. Jesus wants us to move toward him, not just cross over artificial boundaries. So if you, if you happen to be taking notes, there are three things I want you to, three words I want you to write down. One is orientation. Am I facing toward Jesus? In your life, and I just want you to sort of answer this in your soul, today, are you facing toward Jesus or away from Jesus? Am I facing toward him or away from him? Orientation. Second word is direction. Am I moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus? In my life right now, am I moving toward him or away from him? And then the third word is motion because there's no neutral. I was reading this week, in Revelation 3, it says this, uh, Jesus is speaking to a church in a town called Laodicea, and he says, because, he says, I know your works, you're not cold or hot, I wish you were cold or hot, 
So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he goes on and says, I counsel you to buy from me. I offer you something you can't get anywhere else. And verse 20, I love this. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus uh, wants us to be facing toward him, moving toward him, understanding that we can't be in neutral. So I was in a meeting this week. I was having uh, coffee with somebody this weekend. And I started feeling really anxious and like fearful in that meeting. Do you ever have that happen? Like, do you have, are you ever in something and you get really anxious or maybe you get really angry or insecure or proud or judgmental? And in that moment, I found myself working through this and saying, okay, right now, is my attitude facing toward Jesus or is my attitude facing away from Jesus? And how I'm handling this conversation, am I moving toward Jesus or am I moving away from Jesus? And the way I'm living my life and taking care of my body and loving my family and handling myself living in the city, am I moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus? Because that's all God wants. That's what that story is saying. And that's what I think this song is saying. Like, I haven't got it all figured out. I'm still a work in progress. So a couple things. One, I want to encourage you. Life is a journey, not a destination. Faith is a means, never an end. I don't arrive at faith. I don't like wake up one morning and I've got faith figured out completely. It doesn't work that way. I live by faith. We act in faith but we don't arrive at perfect faith. Some of you, I love, I love watch, watching you like live and believe God because some of you, faith is a choice. It is not easy for some of us. We don't arrive at faith. If you wrestle with faith, I want to encourage you, you're never going to wake up and be like, I got it all figured out. I had a dream last night and Jesus appeared in my dream. And when I woke up and I was eating some cereal and he actually walked through the door and we shared a bowl of Cocoa Puffs and now I believe perfectly and it's all good. It doesn't work like that. Faith is a journey and it's a leap of faith. We believe in what we don't exactly see. We don't arrive at it. It's okay to feel restless. It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to be in process, especially if you're moving in the right direction. It's okay that Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, you gave a great sermon. I get it. I like that. Yeah, let's absolutely go fishing. Peter said, hey, I, don't, I know what I'm doing for a living, but if you think this is a good idea, like, I'll do it. I'm not really with you. Like, that's okay. It's okay uh, to not have it all figured out and be in process, especially if we're facing the right direction. None of us has arrived. I look at... Um, a pastor friend of mine here in the city, and we had lunch this week, and I thought to myself, do you need Mark? Your wife needs you. <laughs> no, you're all good. Um, I, uh, I had lunch with a buddy of mine this week, and I'm like, God, he's the best Christian. That guy is such an awesome Christian. Does he ever not believe everything awesomely? And the truth is, none of us has arrived at all. The gospel is for ordinary in process people. The gospel is for ordinary in process people. I want to read you this quote. This is from uh, Bono, 
talking about this song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He says, I think there was a certain uptightness to our first three albums. At one time, I thought you had to have all the answers if you were going to write songs. So it was embarrassing to make a record that was filled with doubts and questions. Then I began to see that many of the artists who inspired me, Bob Dylan, Patti Smith, Van Morrison, Al Green, Marvin Gaye, had similar feelings of awkwardness and spiritual confusion. I realize now it's okay to say you still haven't found what you're looking for. Man, that's good. That is like, we don't have to have it all figured out. We can be in progress. This is not Peter, the head of the Holy High Roman Catholic Church. This is Peter who's cursing at a teenage girl because she says that he looks like one of Jesus's disciples. But we choose to face Jesus, which is the biblical word repentance, and then we choose to move toward Jesus in faith, which is salvation, discipleship, becoming like Jesus. It's a process. Man, when we saw Justin give his life to Jesus, I'd known you for like 14 months before that happened. I prayed for you for a long time. And, um, and then I rem- like, Justin comes out and he's decided he's going to become a follower of Jesus. He comes, he gives me the goofiest hug ever. It's like he had never hugged me like that before. And he's just smiling like he never, ever smiles. That was cool. That was a process. And it'll be a process watching him follow Jesus. And uh, man, it's good. That's good. That's God honoring. God's okay with that. We don't have to act further along than we are. We don't have to act like we're super Christians. Our church doesn't have to act like it's further along than it is. I talked with uh, Miss Lisa, who's one of the teachers here, who comes some Sundays, and she was like, is Christchurch Charlestown going to go to the building one day? I was like, I don't know. I'm just hoping like people will show up on Sundays. Like, I'm hoping this works. I can't think about a building. It's okay to be in process as a community. It's okay to be in process as a God follower, someone pointed towards God. And we can accept other people where they are. Like we have dear friends in this community who believing anything about God is a real struggle. And that is totally okay. That's a step in the right direction. And we celebrate those steps. But we also don't have to stay where we are. And we ought to be cheering one another on, spurring one another on, sometimes like humbly, lovingly, non-hypocritically, even rebuking one another on and say, okay, let's take a step of faith. Like, let's encourage each other. Let's help one another along as we move toward Jesus. And if there's a crossover moment at all, it's to say, I'm all in. Because I met Jesus, not because I jumped through some religious hoop. We don't have to jump through hoops. I'll be honest, people will ask, does Christ Church Charlestown have membership? I'm like, no. No, we don't have that. We will one day. But right now, that would just be confusing. That would be a boundary that made people feel safe. And for a while, we just want to learn to walk toward Jesus uh, and face Jesus. So our mission is to help people be oriented toward Jesus, moving toward Jesus. Uh, and, like, and that may happen through the Bible or prayer uh, or being in community or setting aside sin or living generously or serving or sharing our story, whatever that may be. I love this. If you've got that insert, grab, grab the lyrics. I love this line. It's one of my favorite lines of all time in a song. And it says, all right, so he's talking about in the first couple of verses, you know, I've climbed, I've run, I've tried to do all this, I've kissed honey lips. In other words, I've found all the best that this world has to offer, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I and mean, then look at the bridge. I believe in the kingdom come. 
All the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. Like, I believe in heaven. I believe in this stuff. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds. You loosed my chains. Carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it. But then over and over, he says, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He's facing toward Jesus, but he hasn't got it all figured out. And so I think uh, here's, here's the three questions that I want us to, to wrap with. One, right now, are, is your life facing toward Jesus or away from Jesus? Two, um, Right now, in this season of life, are you moving toward Jesus or are you moving away from Jesus? And if you are away, if you're faced away from Jesus, can I encourage you to posture yourself toward him? And if you are thinking you're a neutral, can I encourage you that, no, let's begin to move forward. Natalie last week challenged their kids class to read the book of John this week. And she goes, I don't know why I challenged them to do that. And Marcy texted uh, did you t- text both of us or just, uh, was it you who was texting me? Your name, your number shows up as Marcy. So that's funny. I need to correct that. That's, think, me, that's, that's you. So uh, Chadwick read all of the book of John this week. Man, how, what a powerful like, and convicting example, quite frankly, is when the nine-year-olds are like reading more scripture than I'm reading in a week. Like how powerful. And uh, you said, do you mind if I share this? So James says, um, well, Chadwick, do you know John 3.16? Uh, do you remember reading that? And Chadwick goes, uh, I'm not really sure. Like, I can't, I'm sure I read it because I read the whole book of John. And, and then James says, gets a Bible out, I guess, and says, and reads it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And Chadwick says, well, yeah, I mean, that, that seems to sum up the whole thing. Like, that seems to sum up the Bible. I mean, how good is that? Like, that is posturing toward Jesus and moving toward Jesus. And that is so, like, that made my week, you guys, like, to hear that. What a powerful story. And I'm sure nine-year-olds haven't got it all figured out, but figuring out, like, the main thing is so beautiful and so good. And I want to encourage you in the people you're around, the people in your house, the people at your work, your neighbors, when you see them this week, here's the homework, if you will. Ask yourself this week in situations, right now in this moment, am I facing toward Jesus or away? Am I moving toward Jesus or away? And with your neighbors, family members, friends, is this person, as best I can tell, I'm not trying to be the judge of their heart, are they postured toward Jesus or away? Are they moving toward Jesus or away? And then how can I help them move toward Jesus? In a not weird way. Like we don't have to be Swedish beauty pageant Jesus honing in people come and follow me, and they all follow. Like, we don't have to do that. We don't have to be that. We can humbly just love people and say, hey, you want to go get coffee? Hey, how's your work going, man? What can I celebrate with you? Hey, like, if somebody fall, even something, like, something as simple as, like, somebody falling down or getting hurt in basketball and just lifting them up and saying, hey, like, I'm for you. We're posturing people, helping people move toward Jesus, uh, not away. And so I love the story um, of how they farm in Australia. And we'll close with this. In Australia, uh, they don't do fences. In the States, we farm with fences um, because properties aren't so huge. And we're afraid of our cattle getting out. Not in Charlestown, but like Americans sort of generally are afraid of their cattle getting out. So we've been uh, at places where we've seen fences that have gone on for miles and miles and miles uh, to keep the cattle in. In Australia, they rarely farm with fences. 
what they do is they put a well in the middle of the property. And if they always make sure there's good, clean water in the well. And if there's good water in the well, people always come back. The, the animals always come back to the well. They never wander from the, boundary, from the boundaries too far because they always know where there's water at the middle. I think what, the, if, what religion will do, if we're not careful, it builds good fences and says, hey, don't do these things. You've got to believe these things. You better have figured this out. You can't struggle with this. Do this. Jump through this hoop. Fence, fence, fence. When really the gospel is the well. And if we just help people learn to walk toward Jesus and posture toward Jesus, people don't wander away from that. People don't wander away from that. People want to experience good news. And so we can, at the same time, like believe the kingdom come, believe that Jesus carried the cross of our shame, and at the exact same time say, I still haven't found everything I'm looking for. I'm still wandering. I'm still a work in progress because we won't arrive until we take our last breath here on earth and our first breath in heaven and we are in front of Jesus. So this week, I, mean, I just want to challenge us to, um, to be holy gods, to be p- positioned toward God and, uh, and then help others do the same thing. Let me pray 